Hey, what's up? Welcome back, everyone, to another Deep Rooted Podcast. We have another great message in store for you today. This one was from one of our amazing, amazing service volunteers. Her name is Mary Jimenez. Uh, She's been a part of our church since the very beginning, and we just love her. We adore her. Uh, She has a great message in store for you to listen to today. We were out this past weekend over at Andrew Womack's Gospel Truth Conference, and so we weren't able to be there uh, this weekend at service. So we had our amazing amazing, amazing woman of God, Mary Jimenez, speak to the church this weekend. And I believe that it'll bless you. I believe that she has a word in store for you. Uh, But before we get into it, I just want to thank all of our partners, all of those who've given to the church, who've partnered with the ministry, who've uh, become partners with Matthew Ochoa Ministries and Deep Rooted Church. We just want to thank you guys so much um, for being able to allow us to spread the gospel even further. If you would like to start your giving journey here at the church, uh, you can go to Deep rooted.church slash give, or you can text any dollar amount to the number 84321, and you can go ahead and start your giving journey with us there. But let's go ahead and tune in to today's word called My Father's Business. Thank you, Jesus. God is so good. So a couple of weeks ago, I actually started teaching on this, and uh, Pastor Matt had said, hey, how much time do you need preparing, you know, before I, call, I ask you to teach? And I had said, oh, maybe two to three days. And then I said, oh, no, actually, you could tell me last minute, and I'll be good to go. Because in Bible college, um, they taught us, they said, if you prepare the messenger, you never have to prepare a message. So the moment an opportunity arises and the door opens, you're ready to go. So I've endeavored to do that, and how you do that, you just stay in the Word, and you stay, you know, in close fellowship with the Lord, and it's happened many times, you know, I've showed up, and I was, wasn't supposed to start teaching the next day at this drug rehab, and all this chaos was going on, she's like calling the police, she's calling, you know, supervisors, and all this stuff's going on. And she's like, okay. She goes, who are you? And I said, I'm Mary. I'm going to start teaching tomorrow. She goes, well, the teacher just called right now, and she can't make it. Can you teach? And I said, sure. She goes, you're on right now. And I said, okay. I'd never taught at a drug rehab before. Never had a problem with drugs. But if the Lord opens the door, you just walk through it, and you expect what you have put in you and the Holy Spirit to just bring up what you put in because he's the teacher. Amen? And you just totally depend on him. I totally depend on him. But you have had to put something in you for him to bring up. Amen? So when pastor asked me, it was 4.45 in the morning, I had just woke up, because it's really important, you guys, that you set time aside. And the Holy Spirit will help you set whatever time aside works best for you and him. And so uh, I was already awake when, ping, pastor's like, hey, sorry, last minute, can you, can you minister today? I said, absolutely. And so, because it's an honor to be able to speak for God and that someone trust you with their pulpit. Yes. So I do what I always do. I said, Lord, what do you want me to teach on? He said, I want you to teach on the harvest is white. And I said, okay. See, what he had told me before, a couple of weeks before, Matthew had said, can you teach on the 18th? Because we were all going to the Gospel Truth Seminar with Andrew Womack. And I said, okay. I go, Lord, what do you want me to teach? He goes, I want you to teach on my return. And I said, okay. 
Well, I by no means am an expert on eschatology in time prophecy, right? But it wasn't that he wants me to teach. He actually wants me to teach on the end time harvest. So what's awesome is for anyone that was here then, that was like the precursor, prerequisite. I'm going to segue. So I'll quote some of those same verses. But... Um, and then I'm going to segue into that. So I'm going to be teaching on actually what we're supposed to be doing to help bring him back. Did you guys know that? And I'm going to give you scriptures that talk about what we're supposed to be doing, occupying till he comes, not being preoccupied with this world in a different sense. And I'll go into that also. But how do you occupy till he comes and not, you know, we can hold him up. How many you know? I mean, if somebody says, I need all these things ready, and call me when you're ready, and then I'll come, right? But if things aren't set up and ready, he really can't come back. And I'll explain that how, and you think like, wow, I can, I can hold it up. He will come back eventually. And I'm going to show you how, even though your portion of ground maybe didn't get covered by you, God has reinforcements and he'll send other people to cover your ground. Because the harvest, it was plenteous way back then. It has never stopped being white for harvest. Amen? So I was just at, uh, like I said, I don't know if anybody knows who Andrew Womack is. I did see my brother and sister Eloy and Elvia there. was not awesome. Ugh, it's so different than seeing it you know, on TV, but being there in person and being able to be one of the prayer ministers where you're up in front and you really get the heartbeat of God. And it just reminded me when I was standing there how the Lord said that my sheep, my, my people, they look like sheep without a shepherd. And he just, his heart was heavy with compassion for them. And I saw that, and he said that to me. And you've seen, I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of people, the line in the convention center, because there was like, uh, I think about 20 of us. And I was privileged to be able to minister with my sister, Linda, who I graduated from Bible college with. And uh, the row wasn't thin. The road was, the row was wide, filling all the, the aisles. And, oh, you guys, your heart, you just feel the the heart of the Lord, that, that compassion. And he said that, he goes, wow, oh, my sheep, they look, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And the shepherd lives on the inside of us. And his heart and his passion and compassion for the lost is just will start beating with your heartbeat. And you'll have that same compassion as one with him, not separate from him, because we are one with the Lord. Amen? And to see them coming. And they're just many of them just shaking. They're so fragile. They're just beat up by the enemy because they don't know the truth. And you know what's sad is that some are Bible college graduates, some are ministers, and I'm not condemning or putting them down, but it's like if you don't know the truth, you can still stay bound because Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, you know. But I had a few people tell me, yeah, yeah, I know it all. Yeah, I graduated from Bible college. What you're doing, I could do. I can get all these people free. I can get them all same filled with Holy Spirit. I can get them all healed. But me, and I got stacks of books. I follow this minister, that minister, all these ministers I'm familiar with, you know. I got stacks of journaling. I got, I, I got all this. And I'm thinking, 
you got some pride too, you know, because pride comes before destruction. That the pride in these are my accomplishments. This is what I do. That will hold up the the power from flowing out of you. So you know, when you're ministering pe to people, you really want to help them, and really be you know inside you're, you're always praying that the Holy Spirit will give you what to say. And, you know, what he had me tell this one lady, because she goes, and, and why, you know, why am I not healed or what? And, but the, the Lord had told me, he's like, it's head knowledge, not heart knowledge. And I said, listen, I too was like you. I taught Bible studies, I ministered, I prayed, and I was still bound inside. I said, because I knew the scripture, but listen to this, I didn't know the word. You know the difference? Jesus is the word. I didn't know him intimately like our sister was saying about the cross, unless you have intimacy with the cross where that seed of the finished work, it's on the inside of you, but you click with it and you're like, ah, I already have everything I need because I have him. And then you're not trying to get healed. You're not trying to read more scripture, listen to more teaching, all this. You're resting coming from a place of the work has already been finished, and bam, I could tell, I tell you that's how I would manifest my healing and get free. But sometimes the, the, the heart is so hard, even with that scripture, they're like, yeah, 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 I know all that. And I'm like, wow, you can't really minister somebody when the, the, the um, heart is so hard. But I just, I'm going to pray with you. I said, because the Holy Spirit, he's here as our comforter, our helper, our teacher, our counselor, our, our guide. And he will help. You. Well, I've done all that. And I thought, let's just pray. But it's sad because we can be our own greatest enemy. It's not how much you know. A lot of times it's better how little you know. Right? As in knowledge. Because the Bible says knowledge puffs up. You know? Knowledge tra challenged Jesus quite a bit. So I want to tell you a story about I had right after I got born again. It was about 1980. I'd be 81. I was 18 or 19 years old. I know I'm telling on myself, but I don't care. So I, I didn't know I'd left one religion, and I had went into just being born again. I just soaked myself in the Word and time alone with God. So I would have a lot of dreams from God. And the Bible says that he'll come and visit you in dreams and visions of the night. So I used to have a lot of visions and dreams. And in this dream, the Lord and I were sitting on the clouds in heaven. And he was showing me Matthew 24 and 25 of the end times. And he says there'll be wars and rumors of wars and famines. And he's saying all these things and he's pointing them all out. Everything that's, you know, I was very familiar with the scripture. And he's tell them I'm coming, I'm coming. He said, urge them, compel them to come. Tell them to be ready. And then he's pointing at that. Tell them to be ready. And his hand swung all the way around at me. He goes, and you, you be ready. And then dream ended. Now, I could only see the Lord from the neck down. His face glowed so much I couldn't get detail of his face. But I got the meaning of what he was trying to say. Fast forward to the year 2018, 2019. I had just done my third year in Bible college in Colorado. A man gets up. And I kid you not, he say, tells the same dream. He goes, I just had a dream. God, Jesus and I were sitting on the clouds. And I'm not kidding, almost word for word, the same exact dream. 
And the thing that gets me is that he goes, he was telling me, tell them to be ready, tell them to be ready. He goes, and then all of a sudden, his finger came all the way across to me and said, and you, you be ready. Well, the chills just ran up my spine. I said, he's coming. He's coming, you guys. And he's coming back for a bride, and he's coming back for a harvest that has been reaped. But we are the reapers. We are the harvesters. Not long ago, um, I, I had a dream, but the dream was very real. And I was standing next to the Lord. And I, we were looking at the world, and I could see all the people. And he had a sickle. A sickle is used for harvesting, harvesting, right? And it was huge. And he swung his arm back, and he swung it real huge. And he was reaping the end-time harvest, right? And I'm like, whoa, that is the biggest sickle I've ever seen. And as he's swinging it, it's got this long rope tied to it. And I'm watching, and all of a sudden, I got hooked on the rope, and I went out with the sickle. And he reminded me, man, we are to reap the end time harvest. He's coming, you guys. I'm, I'm not going to even try to quote when he's coming. He said, no man knows the date or the hour. But there is an urgency in the air, and even in this conference, that he's coming. We're in the third great awakening. And, and listen, we don't want to hold up his coming. Amen? So one of the teachers who, oh, man, I really love this teacher. His name was Dwayne Sheriff. Um, I had just left Bible college, but it was in the year 2020, I believe. He had a massive heart attack, and he died. He goes, I don't even know how many times I died. He goes, but it's so instant. It's like falling asleep, you guys, because I asked the Lord one time I lost my when my father died. I said, Lord, I adored my father. I said, what was it like you know, when my father transferred over? Well, I had fallen to an, a quick sleep. You guys ever do that? You fall asleep and you wake up, you're like, oh, wow, it, it happened so quick. And then don't you usually ask if somebody was around, how long was I out for, right? Because there's no time in this other dimension. And when I woke up, the, the Lord goes, it's like that. I go, wow. So he said the same thing. He goes, I'm telling you, the time from this life to that life, it's an instant. He goes, you just cross over. And he said, Somebody had prophesied to me, this is Dwayne Sheriff, that I would meet the Lord face to face one day. He said, so I wrote a list of things that I wanted to ask him when I saw him. He said, so there I am, face to face with the Lord. And this man, just he, he's so in love with the Lord. He goes, of all the questions I could have asked him, and he's very emotional. And then this part he was saying in Bible college, he's telling us, he said, I said, am I done? And I don't know if you guys know what that means, because we all have a portion of the harvest to reap. I don't know if you guys know that. There's a harvest with only your name on it. And when we're, he was smart enough to ask, he's like, am I done, Lord? And the Lord goes, he's, if I finished my course, did I cover all my ground? And he's, I think, only, I think, uh, late 60s. And he said, the Lord told him, no. But listen, this is so beautiful. The Lord knows how much you love him and you want to be with him. I'm going to try to say this without getting emotional because he even can't say it without crying either. And he said, the Lord said, no, but you can stay if you want to. Isn't that beautiful? As much as the Lord wants the harvest reaped and us to finish our course, when he, when he knows somebody loves him so much and they want to stay there and be with him, nobody's ever wanted to leave the Lord, anybody that's ever seen him. 
He said, no, but you can stay. He goes, I don't, but I don't want to leave you. Isn't that beautiful? It's like our sister was talking about it. It's Valentine's month, but there's no other love like this. I probably need to talk louder. Can you guys hear me okay? I'll talk louder. I'm sorry. But I just thought that was so beautiful. He's looking at the Lord, and he just says, but I don't want to leave you. And even as he's telling the story, tears are going down his face. And uh, he said, but I would do want to finish my course. So he comes back, right? And I really started meditating on that a lot. There is a portion of ground that has our name on it that we're to cover. And it's our sphere of influence, amen? People that were around, that I, people you're around, I won't be around. But the harvest truly is white for harvest. And we'd be, you could be surprised. You would think, well, this person seems fine. They look fine. They talk fine. But this is where you, it's so important to spend time alone with the Lord and pray in tongues because then he could show you they're not fine. Amen? They're not fine. They're good actors, but they're not fine. And then he will give you a way to start a conversation where they can, he can help them through you. Amen? Amen. That's part of my opening. Amen. I tell you, God, he is so wonderful. I'm going to bring this a little bit more into the light. How's everybody doing? You guys good? I, I love stories. Let's see, that I covered that one about that. Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Well, Father God, I just thank you for another opportunity to be your voice, to be your heartbeat. I don't know, only want to acknowledge your presence here, Lord, but I want you to know that you are welcomed here. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher, you're the comforter, the counselor. I pray that you will open up their hearts and their eyes and their ears to understand your word. And that each and every one of them would hear you speak directly to their hearts. Words of encouragement, words of love, words of hope, words of value, God. And we just thank you for all that you've done for us. Thank you for defeating the devil and, and disarming him and making us like more than conquerors. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, another thing that I noticed with people um, coming up, Two main things with everybody that came up for prayer, and I probably prayed for about maybe 30 people in, in the three days that we were there. They don't know who God is. They don't know he's a God of love. They don't know him personally, number one. Let me try to talk louder again. And number two, they don't know the power of the cross. Jesus was talking to some religious people one day, and they were, they were teachers of law, Pharisees, Sadducees, these were teachers of law, I believe, and they were angry with him because he had evidence of the scriptures, and they didn't. So they're confronting him, and I, I believe these are the ones that I love when he says this. He's like, they're talking about, because they didn't believe, they were Sadducees, because they didn't believe in the resurrection, so they challenged him with the question, and I love, it's not the question, I love his response. He says, your mistake is that you don't know the scripture or the power of God. Ah, I was like, man, that's what a lot of our mistake is. We don't really understand the scripture. But the only way you're really going to truly understand the scripture, you have to know who God is. You have to know him personally. Have you guys ever gotten um, maybe a group text or a group email, whether it's at work or 
family, whatever it is. And you get all these different interpretations from it. Some people get angry. Some people laugh. They think, oh, they're funny. Some people are like, they're all like serious. You understand what, what I'm trying to say? They'll get different interpretations. And one, it's going to be based on the condition of their heart, number one. Number two, it's how well they think they know that person. If, if you have a heart that's got junk in it and then you're taking everything offensively, you know, that, that's something you need to work out. Or two, you're like, you, you just don't really know that person. And that's God's number one problem. People really don't know who he is. So then they think, well, he's angry. Um, that had people saying, well, I don't know why he's not, you know, giving it to me, giving me healing or giving me whatever. I go, no, he's already, he's already given everything through his son's death on the cross. If he needed to give more, he would need to crucify his son again. He's already given everything. Our part is learning how to release it from our spirit. So anyway, so it was the main thing that I noticed that they didn't really know God, that God is a good God and he's a God of love. And then two, they didn't know the devil had been defeated by the cross. Every, I mean, I'm telling you so many people, and I was taught this and so I thought this, I didn't realize it was my unrenewed mind, that they're like, Oh, the devil, they're giving the devil credit for their uh, unrenewed mind is really what it was. They're like, I know this. I see the scripture. I read it. I listen to Andrew. I listen to all these people. He, they go, but the devil keeps on telling me it's not true. The devil, I go, you know that Jesus defeated the devil, right? Yeah, yeah, I know. But the devil keeps on going, no, no, no. He goes, well, you know, his, his power is, I go, no, Jesus said, behold, I have all power now. In heaven and earth and underneath earth. I have all power. If he has all power, how much power does the devil have? See, isn't that a great lie from the devil? They're like, well, he has power to deceive. No, he's got lies, but it really isn't power. If it seems like he's got power, he found a way to plug into you. It's like he's got a dead you know, electronic, whether it's a cell phone or something. And he's like, it's dead, you know. I need to find somebody to plug into and then I can, you know, get this going and start doing what I got to do. I got to get a satellite and somebody to plug into. And so it seems like he has power, doesn't he? Not a deception. And these were people that were ministers, Bible college graduates. They taught Bible studies. So many of them, they're like, no, I know these things. I know, but the, but the devil's telling me that it's not true. I said, no, it's not. It's your unrenewed mind. And they're like, no, I go, listen. The devil's not omnipresent, and he's not omniscient. He is not everywhere at all times. I said, even if he did come to you, he'd only have to come just be you. I said, you have power and authority of him over him. He has no power, no authority over you. He's been disarmed, disengaged. Jesus came that he might destroy the works of the enemy. Do you believe he was successful? You have to believe it. If you don't, you'll believe the lie that that's a devil talking to you. How do I know this? Because for years, I thought I was demon-possessed. There's a good chance that I might have probably because my mind, I could not control my mind. And so the thoughts ran rampant and bad teachings just brought it. And I'm like, no, I hear his voice clearly. Well, that was a lie because Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and a stranger they won't follow. I changed kingdoms. I changed dads. Yes, when I had his nature, he was my father, right? And I recognized his voice, but I changed. I became born again. The Bible says all this. And I got a new dad and a new kingdom and a new nature with a new voice. So now I don't recognize his voice. Honestly, I don't 
don't even, I don't, I don't, I forget about him unless somebody brings him up. Because my mind and my thoughts are so much on the king and his kingdom, and I'm his child, that's my dad. And it's like, unless somebody brings him up, I'm like, geez, I forgot all about him. But you know what? Because of that, I love such a victorious life. Where before, when I was always trying to fight him and resist him, and, and I would have people, you know, I had demon-possessed people coming up to me too, and, and uh, they're like, oh, this, and the devil. And I said, are you born again? Yes. Do you pray in tongues? Yes. I said, okay, my sheep hear my voice, a stranger they won't follow. I said, you just, you need, that's not the devil. I said, you have an unrenewed mind. You need to renew your mind because what you're hearing is, I don't know if anybody's ever gone like in a canyon or an area, and you're like, hello, 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 right? And then it'll bounce off the walls, and it's like, wow, it sounds just like they're there. It's strong. It's there. It's there. All we have left is an echo of the, the old nature that we once had, that it's really it's just an echo. It's not even him. And I know this for sure. I have plenty of scripture that would prove it, but that would take me off topic. But I just want you guys to know this. This is so important because he ain't all that. He really, thank you. He, thank you for one person that agrees. He is not all that. Jesus is all that. His finished work of the cross, it is all that. Oh my gosh, there's this, this picture, and I'm so glad that our brother Elijah Mural, he had a picture of it, and it's the devil and Jesus arm wrestling. And they made the devil this huge, big, buff guy in his arm. And Jesus is so sweet looking, and they're facing off. And, and he said, this is blasphemy. This is not scriptural. And I was like, yes, I, I knew that. I thought that. And he breaks the scripture down, you know. The devil was never a match for God or Jesus. But he always rolls the dice and he always overplays his hand. You see it on the, on the scripture. I'm going to stand on the most high. I'm going to seat in the seat of God. I will be. <laughs> no, no, you're not. And, and it's. Anyway, I'm so glad that that wasn't even a challenge for God. Jesus beat the devil, he humiliated him. And uh, it says that they would always parade their enemies throughout the town and, and show them. They'd strip them naked. They'd cut the thumbs off and the big toes, and, they, and they'd parade, like, this is your enemy. Look, see, see him defeated? Do you see him defeated? He will never hurt you again. You need to see that. He, yeah, he's alive, but he doesn't have the power to, 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 uh, to hurt you anymore because with the thumbs gone, you can no longer hold a weapon. And then the, the big toes gone, you can't run. You've lost your balance. And I had a student like that, that she had uh, her big toe gone, and I, she limped, and I said, are you okay? She goes, yeah, they had to remove my big toe, and so I can't walk evenly. So I got proof. I saw that. She couldn't walk right, you know. So that's the enemy. He has to walk around, and, and um, let me tell you, <clears throat> the Lord told me not too long ago, um, he said, you know, the, the devil is your enemy, right? And I said, yes. So I was, you know, inclining my ear to the Lord. And he said, <clears throat> but you're a far greater enemy to him than he is to you. He said, because whenever he sees you or thinks of you, he sees me and thinks of me because you're made in my image. You are so intimidating to you. I said, no wonder I feel like I never have. I'm talking about you guys not to, not to uh, exalt the enemy, but uh, excessive demonic attacks. 
since I was four years old till I was 40. I mean, they were just, it was really, really bad is all I'm going to say. And it was, uh, and it was physical. It was very real. But you know, because I'd been taught wrong. Once I got taught right, and they came in my room, and I looked at them, and I was like, you can stay all night. I don't care. I'm going to sleep. And what's so funny is because when I'm sharing this with one of the girls that was demon-possessed, she says, and you told them, get out. You took your authority, right? And you made them leave. I said, no, that's what I used to try to do. But I did it in fear. I said, but out of my spirit rose this righteous indignation of the truth that I didn't even care that they could stay all night and sit on my bed and watch me sleep. Because greater was he that was in me than he that was in the world. And perfect love casts out fear. And I looked at them and I was like, and they had harassed me from the same ones that had been with me since I was four years old. And I just went, boop. And I went right to sleep. When I woke up in the morning, I was in the same position. I sat up and I remembered the whole scenario, how it went down. And I said, this stuff is real. Jesus really did defeat the devil. I really do have authority and power over the demonic realm. Amen. Give, I mean, that was so awesome. So the things that I'm talking about, I've proven them. Amen. I've exercised them. I exercised the demon. No, just kidding. But I, I did. I mean, and it's like, and you know what's so funny? It's like they tuck tail and leave. And they're like, this one's a lost cause. We can't harass this. They're bullies, right? Can't harass me anymore. Amen. God is a good God. <clears throat> so last time I was here, I was talking about, or last time I was teaching, that God has a business. He's, he has a family business. You guys remember what that is? The family business. He's in the business of saving what? Lives. He's in the business of saving man's lives. Jesus came to save, seek and save the lost. You know, I think it's really awesome that at 12 years old, when they went to uh, Jerusalem to the feast with the family, and they would travel in a caravan, and um, Jesus is seen at birth, and then a toddler, then he shows up again at 12, then he shows up again at 30, and then it's over at 33. I think it's so interesting to see his, his, uh, the times in his life that are noted, but at 12 years old, it shows him, and uh, um, it's kind of funny because they, they start looking for him after days travel, right, among the family members and friends, and they can't find him. So it takes them three days to find him, and they're frantic. We lost the Messiah. We had one assignment <laughs> to, to have the Messiah and, and, and take care of him until he gets to his destiny. And uh, so when they find him, but what's funny is that, and I believe I have that verse, um, I'm going to tell you which one it is. I think it is in... Let's go to Luke chapter 2, verse 48 and 49. <clears throat> Sometimes I change my own sequence. So they finally, on the third day, they find him, and this is what happens. Anybody ever lost a child, and then you're like, oh my gosh, especially three days later, and not just any child, Why? right? So when they saw him, this is Mary and Joseph, the parents, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, I guarantee you, it, was like, it wasn't just like, son, where have you been? Son, 
Why have you done this to us? Isn't that funny? We make it about ourselves sometimes. Look, but watch this. Your father and I have sought you anxiously. And look at, he, he kind of corrects them here. He, did, he does a little bit of a rebuke. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? Do you see? I told you God had a business. But watch this. It's not just why did you seek me. It's like, why didn't you look for me here first? I'm going to use my sister Renee as an example. I don't know if she likes this, but I'm going to say that she did. That she loves reading and she loves Barnes and Nobles. <clears throat> and so if I got to find Renee and I don't have a, we don't have cell phones, don't you think about what someone's the most passionate about? Where would Renee go? I know what Renee loves, books and bar. I'm going to look for Renee first at Barnes and Nobles. And I'm going to expect to find her there. And I'm going to find her there. Do you like Barnes and Nobles? She don't? Let's just say you do. Let's just say you do. Anyway, this is, this is just a scenario. And so, do you understand? They had the Messiah. And it's been told that Jesus was being taught by a local um, rabbi the scriptures, because he knew the scriptures. By 12 years old, he knew who he was and he knew the scriptures, right? Put that scripture up again. And I love that. Why did you look for me? It's like, why did you look for me anywhere else? Why didn't you just come straight to the temple? Because there's other verses that say, I must be in my father's house. And if you look at pictures, I looked up on Pinterest today, a picture, and Jesus is sitting at the temple, and there's all these people around him, and they're amazed at his wisdom and his knowledge of the scriptures. That doesn't just happen by accident. You spent, he spent time in the scriptures. They were scrolls, and he found out who he was. Amen? And we didn't find out who we are, too. But I thought that was so cool. At 12 years old, he already knew. But listen, he doesn't refer to Joseph as his father. He goes, your father and I have been frantic looking for you. He said, why'd you look for me? I must be about my other father. He didn't say my father. He acknowledged God as his father. He goes, why would you even look? I think that's pretty cool. Amen? So it's obvious the father has a business. But, and I'm going to read this scripture. I'll read it eventually. But... When Jesus rose from the dead, he, he told them, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. So he sent us into the Father's business. If you're born again, you're a child of God, you're in the family business. Not everybody likes being in the family business, right? You have siblings and like one likes it and one works harder and the other one's, I, I, don't, I don't want to carry on in the family business. And we get that. <clears throat> We get people that really, um, I'm glad to be in this family. It's got a good name, right? I like the benefits of it, but I really don't want to have to do the work. Have you guys ever experienced that? We had a ranch. Our family had a ranch. And um, so some people work harder than others. I was the youngest, so I didn't really work very hard. That was, I'll, be, I'll be honest, but it's because I was the baby. They said, oh, you don't have to. So... <clears throat> I'm going to go to the next thing. You know, you guys, it's really all about a priority. The kingdom will mean as much to you as you let it. Amen? I love the way what Pastor Matthew said not too long ago. He goes, you always hear, you know, priority, God, family, church, you know, or, or work, you know, like that. And he goes, but that's not really how it's supposed to be. 
It's God priority in my, my marriage, God priority in my family, God priority in my job, God priority in my relationships. He should be number one in every category. And when you do, he's going to be involved in every part of your life. And the, the kingdom business will always be on the inside of you. Because when you're so connected with the Lord, because Jesus said in that day when he, rose from the, when he was going to rise from the dead, he goes, in that day you're going to know that I'm in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. We're one. So we have his nature, his heartbeat, his compassion, his passion for the lost, for, for everything that he's passionate about, the kingdom, the gospel being preached, right? And so when you have that awareness, don't ever forget, we're the body of Christ. We're the hands and feet and the voice and the arms of Jesus. And there's some people, I remember one of my teachers in Bible college, Greg, Greg Moore, he goes, I know, he goes, I know we, we should get everything that we, you know, we need directly from Jesus. He goes, but sometimes you need Jesus with skin on. Do you guys know what that means? Sometimes as humans, we need a hug. I'm a hugger. I love to hug. And I, I love a hug, too. We're human. And sometimes people need a hug. And we're the hands and feet of Jesus. We could be that hug. We could be that, that smile. Sometimes just a smile. Because all my teenage years until I got born again, because I was severely, so severely oppressed by the enemy, that sometimes just to look at somebody and that they would smile at me, it just made me feel like I'm seen and I matter. Because every day of my life, from the time I woke up till I went to sleep, um, was about how I was going to end my life. My whole day was spent. How am I going to do it? I'm not afraid to do it. I was never afraid to do it. That wasn't it. Uh, I, did, I didn't lack the guts to do it. What stopped me were two things. Number one, what I had to be successful. I had to make sure that I wouldn't survive. That was number one. Number two, I, I thought I was gonna, I would go straight to hell. And that, those are the only two things that stopped me. Nothing else, no self-worth. So a smile to me, you guys, it could be so important. When you smile at somebody, you don't know what they're going through, but that smile could be, I see you. You matter. So when I would get a smile like that, I was like, somebody noticed me. Somebody sees me. I matter. Amen. Just don't discount who you are and what you can do for someone's life. Amen? All righty. I know I'm not getting too far. What do we have up there? Yep. Let's read John chapter 4, verse 30. It says, Then they went out of the city, and they came to him. I might have put a wrong verse. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. I'm going to set this verse up a little bit before. <clears throat> what Jesus had just done, he had just ministered to the Samaritan woman. Anybody know the story of the Samaritan woman? Jews weren't supposed to have anything to do with Samaritans. They were known as dogs, like the heap of the bottom of the trash, okay? But he already knew he needed to go meet with her because she needed ministry from him. Ten hours, ten miles is what he traveled uphill in the desert to get to this woman. See, that's why it's so important to know significance. When you read the scriptures, you're like, I think, how far did he, did he go to meet with her? You know? And just one person, amen? Like the, like the one sheep 
out of the 99, right, the hundred the gets lost, he goes and seeks and saves the lost. So he had just ministered to this woman. But before he, when they got into the town, because it was all desert, and then when they got into the town, they said, you rest here. He goes, I'm going to rest at the well, get some water. There was nobody there. And they go, we're going to go into the town and get some food. So by the time that, this was a setup, though, because these people, they, they uh, you know, they wouldn't have liked him talking to her. So he's talking to her and ministers to her and, and just shows her salvation. By the time they're walking up, um, she's leaving. And they see him weary. She, he asked her for some water. And she got so excited about, about the gospel, the kingdom, that she took off and left her water bucket. And he never got any water. But obviously, they saw him exhausted because they said, Master, they urged him, eat something. Okay, now I'm going to go into the verse now that I have set it up. We'll continue reading. As soon as it gets up there, anytime now, there we go. And then they went out to the city and they came to him. Okay, if this hopefully, in the meantime, the disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, listen, I love this. I have food to eat, which you don't know of. Other versions say I have nourishment. Okay, therefore the disciples said to one another, has anybody brought him anything to eat? And I mean, Jesus is always eavesdropping, hearing what people are saying. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. He had an assignment, you guys. We have the same assignment. Amen? To finish, we're carrying on his work. He said, don't say... Do not say, there's still four months and then comes the harvest. So what he's, he's saying, we could say this too, like, oh, it's not quite the end time yet. We, we still have time, you know, till he comes back. We don't know how much time. And he wants us to act like we, we really don't know, like it could be any day. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look out into the fields, for they are already white for harvest. He was talking about, because he would use whatever was around for them to relate to. But he was talking about a spiritual, he was talking about people needing to be reaped, right? Lost, hurting people. The multitudes came to him with needs. They were sick, they were hurting, they were demon-possessed, they were lonely, they were oppressed by the enemy. And that is the harvest that's white, and it's still white. And he reaps Okay, he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That fruit for eternal life, he's talking about people bringing, they're the fruit. And we're bringing them into a kingdom. It starts here on this earth and it continues on to the next, earth, the next life. Amen. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. So yesterday, me and my sister were talking. We would talk after we would minister to the people. We'd share the stories that who we minister to. And then she goes, man, I prayed and I, I, could, I really felt like I, I was sex, successful casting the demon out. She got born again. I got her filled with the Holy Spirit. And then I see her back up in line the next time. And she's manifesting again. And she goes, I, could, I know. I was sure I got rid of that, that demon. And she goes, what? You know, and I said, sis, well, one sows. You know, one reaps, and then, and then, you know, you gather the harvest. I said, so you did your part, and then someone else is doing a part. So we, we do what we can. We don't take full responsibility for, you know, for everything all the time. This was my portion. I did everything that I could in that time, right? One waters, and uh, one reaps, one sows, right? 
He who reaps receives wages. So there's going to be rewards in heaven, you guys. For this is a, this saying is true: one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored, and others have labored, and you have entered into their labors. So he's just saying there was people before him that were working on the harvest also. Is that the last verse? Yeah, that's the last one, right? So what I'm trying to show you guys is that we all have a part to play, and we all have our portion in the harvest, and don't discount yourself. I was thinking about, um, or people might say, well, I can't leave the house, or I, I mean, whatever their incapacities could be. You guys, we have technology that is so amazing. You could record something on your phone and put it on social media, and they have people, oh, I'm not on social media, I'm not going to do that. Okay, well, give it to somebody else and let them put it on their post. Let them post it. No, I don't, I don't want my name on something. Come on. We need to help the Lord. We have a responsibility. We do have an obligation. It's not grudgingly. He doesn't like, he's not like this hard taskmaster. You know, he, he can sound like that, but the urgency is he told him, he goes, give, go Preach the gospel. Go heal the sick. Go raise the dead. Go cleanse the leopards. And watch this. He says, freely you have been given, freely give. See, the kingdom is not to be hoarded in ourselves or just to us. The kingdom is to be dispensed out, right? The king and the kingdom. Let's go to the next verse. <clears throat> this is in Luke 19, verse 10. Does anybody get anything out of this? I don't want you to feel like, like you're, you're uh, being condemned or forced. Because I used to hear this message to where I couldn't even sleep at night. I just thought, I can't even sleep. I've got I've to keep doing this. And it turned into works. And uh, so I don't want it to be about works, a grudging work, works. But it is a work. But it's awesome when you, you click with God and you know that you were the hands and feet of Jesus and you see people. I mean, I was praying for people and they would just be crying, getting delivered, you know, from, from um, the deception of the enemy or getting delivered from sickness or pain leaving their body. It's a high, you guys, to know you feel the Lord working in you, through you, and using your body. Amen. One thing that was really cool is that God gave me a word of knowledge for every person that came into the line. And it's so funny. They could be talking about something else, and they go and go, and then you're like, okay, I got a word for you. I got one word from, from the moment you spoke. And they're like, okay. <laughs> and I go, and whatever the word was, I just gave it to them. And man, every one of them would just break down crying. Because I have no idea what they need to hear, but, but the Lord does, and I trust in Him. And, and man, when I would just say that word, or I'm going to say this, and you tell me what, how that hits you. Have a need, sow a seed. And man, and the, and the whole Lord's already been talking to them, and they just start crying or laughing. Does it make sense? Absolutely. The Lord had already told me that. It's so awesome to work with God. It's not grudgingly. It's wonderful. Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. The Son of Man, the Son of God, is in us still seeking to save the lost, you guys. He's doing it through us. But notice the, the scripture I was sharing before. Look up. Look around. The harvest is white. That's what we're supposed to be doing every day as a body of Christ out there. Look up. And look around, and he'll point out people. 
And the more people you pray for, the more people you're going to see healed and delivered and made whole. If you don't see a lot of people healed, you need to pray for more people, right? I know I've been doing that. I go, you know, I really don't see a lot more people healed. And did you know statistics show and say that the most people that you're going to bring to the Lord is in your first year of salvation? After that, it kind of trickles down. And I'm a witness to that. Oh, man, I was, mine was probably my first two years that I got the most people born again and saved. And then it kind of just slowed up. But I'm kicking it up again. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going for it, you guys. All right, let's go to Luke 14, 15. I know it's over there. Now, when one of these who sat at the table with him and heard these things, he said to him, Blessed he is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom, King James. And he said to him, A certain man gave a great supper. Oh, okay. So I've been meditating on this for at least three weeks since Pastor uh, asked me to teach. And so I, I was gathering a lot of scriptures, but sometimes things are like, mm, they're not hitting home. So I, and when I got home last night, <clears throat> I was exhausted because I had only slept two hours and then drove almost four hours home. But um, I got my Bible and I started putting the message a little bit better together. And then the Lord spoke this to me. And I was like, oh, that's it. Okay, this is the main thing that you want to say. I went to sleep with that. But I love this story. And really what it is, he's telling a story, but he's talking about his father having a huge banquet. And this is Jesus talking about what's really going to happen in the future. God is planning a huge wedding feast, a banquet for his son when he's going to marry his bride. And so this is how he's going to tell the story. And he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. That many is actually, he invited, the whole world is invited to this banquet. And he sent his servant at supper time to say, those who are invited, come, for all things are now ready. Now he was talking about the Jewish people because they got the first invitation, right? But watch this. But they all, how many? Oh, with one accord began to make sorry excuses. I know it doesn't say sorry excuses, but they were sorry excuses. Because you, you see, he's going to get mad. The first said to him, uh, I bought a piece of ground, and I need to go and check it out, and ask that I be excused. That yeah, was just so, so insulting. And another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. Because honestly, you guys, these things are things that you do before you do this. I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. Who just goes by a used car without going to look at it, right? Test it out, drive it. So that's basically what they're saying. Five yoke of oxen. I'm going to go test them out. And I said I'd be excused, right? Still another said, I got married. I married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. Now, hopefully, you don't test that one out first before you married that one, because you're not supposed to, because that would be wrong. But at least you got to know then, right? So that servant, he came back and reported all these things to the master, right? Then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, I love this, because this is now us, you guys, right? Go out quickly. How, go out what? Quickly, because Jesus is coming back quickly. Some people, some translations say soon. So it's like, oh, he's coming, he's coming. It just means when he comes, he's going to come like a flashing of the light. It's going to be like suddenly, right? 
Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor, the maimed, the lamed, and the blind. Okay? And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. Get this, you guys. When it's all said and done, I know my dad. I know my heavenly father. There will still be plenty of room. All the people that were lost, all of them. Do you know that there was room for every last one of them? I know him. That's how it is. A matter of fact, um, they read a scripture yesterday. <clears throat> I can't tell you exactly where it's at, but it's in the Bible. And it says that, that, that um, hell, which was designed for the devil and his angels, it was made it to a certain capacity just for them. But because of the, the destruction, the evil of others that chose you know, to follow them, it says that hell has to expand, it says, on a daily basis to fit those people in. Because broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go therein. That was not the will of God. God's not willing that none should perish, right? But narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. I'll explain that a little bit uh, more. But right here, Master, it's done, and still there's room. Next. <clears throat> then the Master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and what? That's our job. We're supposed to compel them, urge them, come in. But the way we do it, we don't do it with fear. God is a, God is a you know, scary God. You're, you know, he's going to send you to hell. He doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose that, right? But we compel them. I think that there's not a lot of compelling going on. Urge them to come in. He's a good dad. He's a good father. He loves you. He gave his son to die for you. He just wants a relationship with you. He just wants to hold you and make life better. That's the God we introduce to people, that, that good dad. He says, that my house may be full. Yeah. Right? That, my, that heaven would be full. It doesn't stop there. There's going to be a new Jerusalem, and there's going to be a house. And, and it says that God is going to live among his people forever. For I say to you that, those, that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. Now, if God's going to make a, a banquet, you know that food's going to be good. He's the one to put all these, I think, I don't know how many, but I've heard there's maybe hundreds of taste buds on our tongues, on our tongue, and there's all these different parts to taste different kinds of flavors, like salt and, and uh, sweet and all this stuff. Imagine how it's going to be like on steroids in heaven with that banquet. And it says that it, when that happens and we sit down to the marriage supper of the Lamb, but you got to RSVP, you guys. And, and it's awesome because we get to send out the invitations. They're in us. But we're, we're sending the RSVP out. And there's scriptures that say that, too. We tell people, you know, there's, there's going to be a wedding. You've been invited. But you have to RSVP. So they just need to receive Jesus as their Savior. And you're in. It's not hard, you guys. But I've always loved that passage, but I just always thought it, how heartbreaking that, you know, it's kind of like if you decided to have a big party and you made all this food and you went through all this trouble and, and all these decorations and you invited all these people and then you see that just a few, maybe a remnant took that invitation and you had all this there's going to be so much food there. There's going to be so much celebration there. There's plenty of food left for everybody. You know, you can have seconds and thirds without worrying about that. I like that because I love food. I'm a foodie. Anybody else a foodie in here? Yeah. 
You guys with me? Yes. Trying to make you laugh. You guys look so serious. I rolled up my paper like a scroll. Let's go to the next verse. Oh, man, God is so good. I'm waiting for it to show up here. Matthew 7, 13. There we go. Okay, this is the scripture I was just ta talking about. Now, Jesus was saying this. Enter in by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. That's on the way to hell, right? And there are many, that, many who will go in by it. Okay, so I heard a, a young man on social media say this, and he's probably the best way that I've heard it explained. He said, God is not sending anybody to hell. He said, hell is like a huge ship, and, and the whole world is on that ship on their way to hell. He goes, but Jesus comes with his own ship alongside, and it's like, and we're all in there saying, come on, there's... A there's danger coming. Come over here. You know, come to this side. You'll be saved. And then we have uh, the anchors, and we help bring them over to this side. Amen. And then at the end, before it gets to the into the where those enter into the the wide gate, we get to turn around and we go get to go to heaven. So God's not sending anybody. It's a, God doesn't want anybody to go. That He doesn't. His voice is too scary for people. People get terrified. So he uses our voices to tell people. Amen? Doesn't that make sense? Can he shout his voice? Yeah, he has a voice. But it always scares people. So he's like, I'll use people. I'll use familiar people. I'll use whoever I can. And they'll give the invitation through me. Amen? So destruction, let's go. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So I used to always be taught... It's difficult serving God. It's difficult getting into the kingdom. But that's not what it's saying. The road is narrow because Jesus is the only way. He's the only way into eternal life. He's the only way into the Father. And so the way is narrow because he is the only way. He's the door by which you need to go through. And the reason it's difficult, that, like, um, let me put it this way, you guys, is because if we have all this stuff with us, like stuff that we want, like maybe our works righteousness, why I should have a right to go to the Father or get into the kingdom, it doesn't work like that. So it's like, hey, let it all go. I'm only coming based on the finished work of the cross. It's by grace that we are saved, not of works, not of any of our works. We don't deserve it one bit. It's 100% his blood and his finished work that we get in and we have access to God. So that's why they say it's difficult. You've got to let all your works go. All your goodness, all your righteousness. That's why the Pharisees and Sadducees and the teachers of religious law, they were trying to have a relationship with God based on all their works and their credentials, you know. And uh, he's like, no. That was just one time he's like, you guys... You'll make it so hard for the people to get to God. You put such heavy burdens on them. They're so hard. Not even you yourselves can, can keep them. He said, and yet you don't lift a finger to even help one of them. You blind guides. You brood of vipers. You sons of your father, the devil. Jesus hates self-righteousness. He loves people. But nobody was righteous or good enough to go straight to the father. But they thought that they were. He goes, you search the scriptures to find eternal life. And in them, those scriptures speak of me. Moses, who you hold on to his law. Moses spoke of me. But if you really knew the scriptures, you would see me. They speak of me. 
eternal life standing right in front of you. The living word. Blind guides. Whoa. Jesus could be tough sometimes. But some of those, some, you'll see a few here and there that they actually did get born again. They were starting to leave, you know, there. They were still Pharisees and Sadducees. But you see, some of them started turning to Jesus and getting saved. You know how I know? Because Joseph of Arimathea was one, and so was Nicodemus. And they went and they, they uh, begged for the body of Jesus, what well, Joseph did. And then they gave him a certificate to go get his body. And I love it because it says that Joseph took him off the cross. And they wrapped him and they prepared his body for burial. And then they put him, he put him in his own grave. Because, you know, when they had those conversations with him, he, he had to have told him, I'm going to die. I'm going to need a place to lay just to borrow for three days. Can you help me out? Sure. Man, I would love for you to, yeah, you can borrow my grave for three days. God, awesome. But imagine like you lay there after. It's like it's, it just keep coming back to life. <laughs> but listen to this. This is just a side note, but I love this story. When Jesus died, there was a great earthquake, and many of, of the believers who were in that area, their graves were opened up. But the power of the, the resurrection of Jesus was so powerful that when he rose from the dead, you know that he didn't rise alone? It says that those uh, graves of the saints, they, they were open, and they rose from the grave too. And they got up and they showed themselves among the people. And can you imagine, it doesn't say, it said they were witnesses to his resurrection. But I like to look, just imagine the conversations that went on. Imagine an uncle or mom or dad or a child comes knocking on the door and they're like, whoa, I'm here to tell you. I was in paradise in the bosom of Abraham and Jesus showed up and he took, care, took the keys, death, hell and the grave and the power of the enemy. I saw him do it. And then he came in, he got us. He did. He got paradise. It was just a waiting place. And then he took paradise into heaven. But he's like, hey, how about you guys want to stop off with me? I want to talk about what I did in the resurrection. That resurrection was so powerful. It raised those local saints from the dead. And they were witnesses that he was the Messiah. Am I crazy? I like dig through the scriptures. And I'm like, I want to know. I want to know. And I'll flip the word around. I look around it. And I dissect it like crazy. And... I, think, I just think the word, it's alive, it's living, it's a person. Yes. See, when you go to read the word, literally, because the word is a person, and it's living, and it's active, right? Hebrews 4.12. It's Jesus talking directly to you. Yes. When you're reading the word, it's literally Jesus speaking to you. And what's so awesome, the Holy Spirit explains it to you, because the Holy Spirit is the one who wrote the scripture. It's so awesome. I literally have had visions of the three of them sitting with me while I have the word open and Jesus is smiling. He's looking right across from me and we both have our hands on the scripture and the Holy Spirit's here and God's here and they have the biggest smiles and we're like, let's do this. And the three of the four of us together, we go through the scriptures and we have a great time. Does anybody else experience anything like that? Well, you can, because I'm no respecter of persons. I think it's just so awesome. Let's go to our next verse, John 20, 21. <clears throat> Does anybody get anything out of this? The word should excite you. I think it should be really excited that we've been called to the family business to help God out. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. 
Watch this. As the Father has sent me, what? Say that with me. I send you. There's proof. You always have to have scripture to prove what he's saying. And it's so funny because people could say, well, that's your interpretation. It's so funny. People will tell me that, and I'm like, you haven't even, we haven't even mentioned a scripture, and you're already telling me that it's my interpretation. That's, that's religion talking right there. And I said, well, there's some scriptures that are really plain. Um, uh, Dwayne Sheriff said that yesterday. He goes, I have people tell me that. It's like, oh, that's your interpretation of the scripture. He goes, it says, do not commit adultery. He's like, uh, that needs, that shouldn't need any interpretation. Don't sleep around, he says. <laughs> Almost like, he goes, it doesn't need interpretation. That's so true. There are so many scriptures that they don't need interpretation. Let's go through that, that verse again. Let's see. <clears throat> so Jesus said to them, now, okay, this is when he rose from the dead, and he's showing up in the room with the disciples. They're still scared and hiding, right? That's what happens when you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit because that gives you power to not be afraid and to be bold, right? I think it's Proverbs 28.1. It says, the righteous are bold as a lion, but the coward flee when no one's chasing them. But the righteous are bold as a lion. Amen. It's the Holy Spirit that'll give you that boldness. So Jesus said to them, peace to you. Now, he had to say that right away because imagine a dead person. You're hearing that they rose, but you hadn't seen him, seen him. And then he just shows up without walking through a door. He just went through the wall, and he shows up, peace. He probably wasn't, peace. He was probably like, I know they're going to be scared. Peace. God, don't be scared. Fear not. A lot of times he'd say, right, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Didn't he? cut right to the chase. He went right to the topic. Pretty quick, right? Do we have a verse after that? Can you pull up the verse after that? So Jesus said to them again, peace I leave you with you as a father son. Yeah. So we got the picture, right? We've been called to the, to, uh, the father's work, the family business. Okay, here's another verse that's going to confirm that we've been called to do the work. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now, the verse before this is, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All the old has passed away. Behold, everything's brand new. So what we're doing is we're, we want to tell people you have an opportunity to enter into this um, new creation life also. Okay, so then he goes into this, verse 18. Now, all things are of God who has, is that going to happen or has it happened? It happened when Jesus died on the cross, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ. Remember, he's the door, the narrow gate, and has given to us, say given to me, the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry to reconcile God's lost sheep back to himself. And this is how he's going to do it. Let's go to the next verse. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses against them. Jesus was never calling out anybody's sins other than the self-righteous religious people. That's the only sin he called out. The worst of sinners loved him. They said, why does he eat with such scum? And he's like, man, it's not the well that need a doctor. It's the sick that do. You know, go learn this parable. You know, he who has been forgiven much loves much. See, by not 
counting their sins against them. But a lot of times churches are doing that. You sinner, you filter sinner. Jesus became our sin for us. So now he's reaching out with, with the good news. You know, Jesus paid for your sin and has committed to us the word of re reconciliation. You see it again? It's the, the torch has been passed to us. That, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the word back, back to himself, out to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Go to the next verse. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Say that with me. We are ambassadors for Christ. You guys how, know how an ambassador works? I've been out of the country. When you go to the U.S. Embassy or there's somebody there as an ambassador, it's, it's really different. It's awesome because you go with this authority from another nation. We're here from authority from the kingdom of God. Amen? Here to exercise jurisdiction and authority over all the power of the enemy. And that's what we were doing on the prayer line yesterday. People are like, oh, I go, hey, don't you worry about it. I know my authority. I'm going to speak to this cancer. I'm going to speak to this, and it's going to go. It's not maybe or part of it. I go, I will command all of it to go, and it's going to go. It has to go because I have authority over it. I've been given that right. I know how to use it. So one time this girl, she came back again, and she goes, well, I went to my mentor, and she said that you have to curse it. It has to be cursed, and it has to be. I go, no, I don't. I already did it. And she goes, yeah, but she says she has to do, yeah, it has to be done again. I go, no, I don't. I said, all it takes is one time with somebody that knows their authority. I'm not going to do it again. I'm not going to pray that again. You know why? I go, because that's unbelief. And then she just kind of looks, hey, <laughs> her mentor was wrong. But I just said, I go, no, I'm not going to pray again. I already did it. All it takes was one prayer for somebody who knows their authority. I go, I did it. Your job is to believe that it's done. And you need to renew your mind. I wanted to say, and so did your mentor. But I didn't. But I didn't. And I just, and she looked at me like, and she goes, okay. And she checked off whatever <laughs> she was telling her. I go, check, check, do a double check on that. <laughs> We're ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading, pleading through us. You see that pleading, that, that compassion again through us. We implore you. That's another translation. It's like we beg you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Are we doing that? Do we need that? I'm not trying to do it in a condemning, judging way to you guys. But that's what we should be doing. All right. Do we have? Any, uh, I think we have another verse coming. Because I'm going to be wrapping this up pretty soon. We're about out of time. Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel, yeah, this is, this is the last verse. Okay, after saying all that and we're doing all that, and then Jesus tells them everything, the great commission, which you need to do, then this is going to happen. And this gospel of the kingdom, now the gospel means nearly too good to be true news, that, that you don't have to be sick. And I was listening to somebody uh, talk and they uh, earlier and they were um it was a minister and they go they were talking about miracles all oh, that we could have miracles and that we could have all these things and i thought that's that's uh that's when you haven't entered into the abundant life but god's best is never having to need a miracle because you're living in the blessing and the abundant life that's awesome. I'm not, I'm not criticizing. I was there for the longest, and I'm still, you know, we're still walking out this, this wonderful finished work of, of uh, the cross. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in where? 
That's the harvest that's white. We have to we have to plow this ground as a witness to all the nations. And then what? And then the end will come. And then Jesus can come back. Because we all have a harvest, right? And then he's not going to like cut the harvest short. He's like, well, I got to come back. They got most of it done. No, he's a just God. It's like, nope, they gotta, we're going to plow. The, now, what was good about the pandemic is that a lot of technology got out there. And so now a lot of, there was a lot of podcasts, a lot of things got started to where it's like people that maybe you can't reach or be there, but they found a way to hear the gospel. And so, and once, and it's not, you notice he doesn't say, and then every person, it says every nation is going to hear the gospel. You see the difference? I was always taught, oh, every last person. No, it says the nations. Amen? And once we get the word out, it's not just about getting Jesus. I mean, it does say in the last um, part of Revelations, it says, and he, surely I come quickly. And then it says, and, and we say, come Lord Jesus. And we do want to say that, but we want to grab as many people as you can. Did you guys ever see those those games where they put you in, in like this glass thing and all this money's flying and they said as much as you can grab whatever you grab is yours to keep and they're in there do you see them frantically they're grabbing as much money as they can and stuff that's what we could do with the fruit of the harvest let me grab get as many as I can and then bring them to heaven with me and then we'll see them in heaven and it's like we're all a huge family re, uh, reunion and rejoicing Amen. And we get to be part of the end time harvest. Anybody get anything out of that? Amen. I think it's so awesome that we, yeah, give the Lord a hand that we have been called to the end time harvest. And it's a pleasure working for God. I love it. Boy, that boldness comes up out of you, you know. And uh, <clears throat> But it was just so awesome that, um, you know, when you know you have that conviction in your heart that the work that Jesus did was complete and perfect and final, that it was just so funny. As so many people, they just came up with, not funny, but just, you know, um, unfortunate, really, that it, they see the cross as limited. They go, well, I, I, uh, he healed most of me, but, you know, he still has to do a little bit more. And I said, no, he's not going to do any more than he did by dying on the cross from you for you that was more than enough or it's like he he healed my back and, and I got all these other problems but but if uh, if I could just get the shoulder healed I can deal with everything else and I said it's not a limited you know salvation I said he could heal all of your body and there's plenty left over for everybody else in this room to be completely made whole and healthy Matter of fact, the entire world from, from beginning to the end, everybody can be completely made whole and healthy. I said, it's not limited. And he said, it's finished. He didn't say it's, it's almost finished. It's, it's almost good enough. It is finished. It is perfect. One drop of that precious, powerful, potent blood of Jesus was enough to save the whole world from whatever sin brought into it. But if you don't believe it, it won't be true for you, and it'll be hard to tell other people. But I love being so confident in, in, about it, and even ministering to ministers that I would tell them. I said, nope. I said, it is finished. You know, it's, it's a complete, it's a done deal. It's a perfect work. And they're like, well, I mean, I mean, the demons are still talking to me. I said, I told them to leave. They're gone. 
It's your unrenewed mind talking to you now. Well, the devil's talking. I go, no, it's not. I go, he's only one. He's not omnipresent. I said, it sounds like him because you had his nature, but it's not him. I said, you hear Jesus' voice now. You're his sheep, right? You're born again? Yeah. I said, you need to renew your mind. I said, because that's, that's what you're hearing. I know it because I experienced it. And they're like, huh? I said, you're already free. I already prayed for you. I think you need to pray a little bit more. I said, no, I don't. That's unbelief. And I had one lady, she was going on and on. I called, oh, I got the prayer line at Andrew Womack's on speed dial. And I call every day for my daughter. And then we listened to this and this. And man, instantly the Lord told me she's in unbelief. She had Andrew Womack pray for her daughter three years ago. She believed if he prayed that she'd get well, where she didn't see the results. We can't be moved by what we see, hear, taste, feel. That's not the reality. The spiritual realm is what really is real. Amen? And until you see in the spirit realm, you're going to be caught up and limited by the five senses. And so I thought, man, when she said on speed dial, well, then you don't believe the Holy Spirit. Goes, She's in unbelief. When she was done talking, I said, sis, I've got to say something to you. I say this in love. You're in unbelief. And she started crying. She goes, I know it. I know I am. I said, that's your problem. Sometimes we have to tell some people things that I know it may not set right, but yet it'll set you free. The truth will set you free. I said, you just got to get rid of that unbelief. The work has already been done. We prayed. It's a done deal. Your daughter's healed. Don't worry. Don't look at what it looks like or sounds like. Your daughter is healed. Change the way you're saying death and life and the power of the tongue. Now just say, you look at your daughter. You're healed. You know, she had autism. Had autism. I said, don't relate to her like that anymore. I go, speak life over her. Tell her you're healed. You're healed. Imagine her healed. What life your family would be like with your daughter healed. And, uh, and she's like, okay, I'm trying, I'm trying. Well, you do it, you do it. Just only say your daughter's healed. Don't say my daughter is autism. Your daughter, I go, you, sh- and you shouldn't be calling the helpline every day like that. That's unbelief. It's kind of hard, huh? Is it kind of hard? But it helped her because she started crying. She goes, I know I am. I got to stop. I go, yeah, you got to stop. Oh, you'll never see the manifestation. And she's like, Okay. All right, that's the end of that. That's the end of my message, you guys. I pray for you guys. I'm going to pray for you that um, you would get that urgency to help the Lord with the end time harvest. That you look up and look out and look around and listen to the Holy Spirit. I, when He told me that, He goes, "Stop looking, <laughs> go shopping." I'm like, "I need this, this, and that's and get in, get out." And He goes, "Look up, look around, and listen." The harvest is white. And man, I looked up, I looked around. I was like, whoa, that person, they had a big uh, tumor on their neck. He's like, that person needs ministry. This person needs ministry. That person, I was like, every, just where I was at, th- these people needed ministry. And that's happening every day. They're divine appointments every day, you guys. So I'm going to pray for you. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for this group of people here, Lord. That's not an accident that each and every one that was here and those of you listening online, whether it's today or another day, Lord, that you have called us to the family business. And we say, yes, Lord, here am I. Use me. Use me, Lord. I know that the call can sometimes, it'll inconvenience the flesh because sometimes we, we get less sleep 
or maybe we don't get to go hang out with friends or maybe go do things we wanted to do because the Lord has called us over here. You called us over here to minister. I'll catch up with you later, friend. I got I to gotta do something. The kingdom needs me over here. The king needs me here. And then we're the answer. You guys, we could be the person that, Lord, use us. We're the person that stops that suicide. We're the person that stops that cancer from killing our brother and our sister, Lord. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, Lord. And we say, use us, Father. Help us to make ourselves available to you, God. Wake us up in the middle of the night, Lord, and show us. Help us to say, here I am, Lord. What do you need? What can I help you with? I'm right here, Lord. Make yourself get out of bed and start walking and start praying. I'm here, Lord. What do you need? I'm here. I'm here to help you. Lord, I, I anoint them, Lord, with your presence and your power and your will and your compassion and your love to reach out and save the lost and the end-time harvest, Lord. We repent of, of being too preoccupied or busy with other things, Lord, and we shift our focus on you to help you reach this end-time harvest, Lord, to help you come back. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen? Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Thank you, Jesus.